such a wonderful time to be together. Anybody surprised it's already March? Yeah, snuck up on a couple of us. Uh, just how that works, I guess. Hey, we are uh, continuing in our series, The Collision. This is a season of Lent in the church. This is sort of the period of time as we look towards Easter. Just understanding the work of God in the desert. Understanding the work of God in Jesus and his time in the desert. And it's these 40 days to consider what it might be like in our lives to reflect on where we are, to remember the life of Christ, to return to the Lord in things that maybe we've just taken for granted or neglected or just outright been, dare I say, disobedient to the Lord. And that happens in all of our lives. And so what's beautiful about this rhythm in the church is it sort of sets us up to be reminded of God's faithfulness. And very specifically for us in this series, we're looking at the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God sort of places us in this collision of kingdoms and this collision in the desert that we see between Jesus and Satan. And how do we make sense of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness? How do we make sense of a real enemy and a real adversary in this life that sometimes in our Western mindset, we sort of have maybe just held at a distance or just avoided. But what do we do with the scriptures? And so in Luke 3, we see Jesus' baptism and we see Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit and that his full identity is not placed in what he did, but who he was and most importantly, whose he was. This is my son whom I love in whom I take great pleasure. And what we have to understand is that same relationship of God the Father to the Son is the invitation for us when we say yes to Jesus as his kids. And then we begin to see Jesus led by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, moved into the desert in Luke 4. And this is sort of where we're hanging out. And in Luke 4, what we need to understand is that the life of Jesus is showing us how to live our lives here on the earth. We don't want to so quickly go, well, Jesus is God in the flesh, and I am not. That is true, but Jesus, in full humility and in full humanity, surrenders his life, lays his life down, and shows us how to live full of the Holy Spirit, that it's still that relationship with God filling us and fueling us for our life. And so to summarize it, I want to use a commentary from Ken here. And this is what he says in one of his commentaries of this kind of passage of scripture to set the stage. He says this, Heavenly Father affirmed his relationship, declared his love, and assured Jesus of his Father's pleasure. This is the baptism in Luke 3. What a fire this must have kindled in the spirit of Jesus. Armed with the word from heaven, he was ready to begin his ministry. And the thought for today is that what we're going to see is God's word is life. And what we have to see in the way of Jesus is that it was God's word to him that was his very life. And so just to remind us, we've been talking through this um, resource, this resource from George Ladd on the gospel of the kingdom. And this is sort of a summary statement, again, just trying to catch us up, get us on the same page it is the character of this age to, to choke out the working of the word of God. This age he's talking about is different than the age to come or when we see new heaven, new earth, or heaven fully established. 
This age is the age we live in, where there is a collision. The spirit of this age is hostile to the gospel. This age is hostile to the gospel, and humans often yield in conformity to this age rather than surrender to the claims of the gospel. There is conflict between this age and the gospel of the kingdom. We need to live sort of eyes wide open to the fact there is conflict, there is a collision. And what I think, if we just honestly look at our lives, I mean, I don't even have to talk about your life. If I look at my life, my life tells me there is this collision. My life tells me there is a challenge within me to what and to who will I conform and to how will I orient my life and who will I be obedient to and who has power and authority and who gets to call the shots, baby? This guy. You're like, no, 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 no. You're like, wait a second. You're like, let me tell you about the good news of the gospel. <laughs> That's the collision. And what I think is really helpful as I see the scriptures, as I see the life of Jesus, is this. Every life at some point is lived in the desert. Where resources are low. Death is closer than it's ever been. And the circumstances tell you God is not present. Every life at some point, is lived in the desert. Can you relate? Does that feel like that thought has some integrity to it? And what I want to remind us of is this, as we see the scriptures, as we see Jesus, as we see the work of the Spirit, I believe we navigate the desert just like Jesus, anchored in God's love and filled with the Holy Spirit. Because what's interesting is the desert sort of can be this picture for circumstances and these circumstances where you're being tempted, these circumstances where there seems to be no life, these circumstances where it's loneliness, it's isolation, it's desolation. It's sort of like, I don't know many people going, I want a vacation in the desert with no water and no oasis. I want to live every day just parched, weary, just shredded. Like, no? See, what I think is so beautiful about this scripture that we're going to see in Jesus is Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the desert where he is tempted and he's confronted by Satan, by the devil, by the enemy, by the adversary. And there are two things that Jesus knows that the scriptures tells us. One is that he is loved by God. And he has to carry that identity. He has to walk in the fullness of that moment into a circumstance that will tell him otherwise. Anchored in the love of God. And it says he was full of the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the deserts we are in are the places God is showing up to do work. The deserts we are in are the places God is showing up to do work. And I don't always understand it, but what I think is this. In my own story, in my own life, I question if God is even with me, aware of me, or sees me. And what we have to be reminded is the promise for those who follow Jesus is God is in me. The Holy Spirit has filled me. 
and we dig deep into that well of life. So just like we sang, maybe that river of life will come and fill me. Where do you need again to hear the voice of God say, I love you? It's the way of Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. So let's start uh, in Luke 4, verse 1. And as I read this, I want to put two questions in front of you. What area of your life feels like a desert? What circumstances are you in right now that are desert-esque? The other question we have to be willing to come into God's presence with is, where am I being tempted? Where am I being tempted to live outside of God's kingdom and to walk in a different way? Where is there temptation and where am I in the desert? So we're going to be in Luke 4, verse 1, reading 13 verses. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. I feel like that's a very relatable moment in the life of Jesus. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. A small exchange. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple if you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. He left him until an opportune time. There's so much that we can see in this text, but Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left where he was baptized, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness or into the desert. And we're going to focus on the first temptation today, which is the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. There is a real and oppositional force that stands against the work of God's kingdom. Alan and I were talking, our founding pastor were talking, he said what this text should help us see is there is a real force that is in opposition to what God's up to. And we can work on the semantics, we can work on the different things, but there's this real and oppositional force, which I think just the eye test, the smell test, when you look at the world and you look at your own life, go, that actually makes sense. The work of God and the love of God and the life of God is in the mix, and there is also something other. There is something other. 
And so I'm just curious, as we navigate this, how do we surrender to the claims of the gospel in our daily life? If there is an oppositional force against the claims of the gospel that's saying, hey, I'll give you what you want. Surrender to me. Bow to me. Prove who you actually are. Listen to my voice. Step into my way of living. How might we surrender, not to that voice, not to that power and principality, not to that kind of possibility of conforming to the way of what might actually draw my heart, but to discern and to surrender to the claims of the gospel, who you are, your identity, and how we walk in faithfulness. What I believe Jesus is showing us is that God's word is life. God's word is life. In the beginning, God created. He spoke, and we get life. The faithfulness of God in his word, his essence, his character is that his word is life. And this is something we can anchor to and we can engage. We believe God is alive and at work, not to preach Easter to you too early, but good news. Good news. The resurrected Christ is living and we can be full of the Holy Spirit. We can hear God speak to our circumstances. We can experience God lead in the desert and the wilderness moments. And they will be leading us in the way of... Okay, we're going to try that. We're going to try that again. It's life, okay? On three. Life. One, two, three. Life. Yes! This is what Jesus is proclaiming to us in this work. It's right here in the text. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil... He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus is saying, There is something more that I need to actually live. I need more than bread alone. I need more than what my power can produce alone. The way of God's kingdom calls me to something more, and that more is found in God. The very word of God. So he's referencing scripture. He's actually referencing Deuteronomy 8. Listen to what Deuteronomy 8 says, starting in verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live. This is God with the people of God in the Old Testament as they're navigating their journey. And increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Here we go in verse 2 of Deuteronomy 8. Remember, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. A connection to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This passage is a moment where Jesus is going, I'm a part of the family of God. I'm living in the history and the faithfulness of God. 
And there is this moment in the story of God that God could do things that we could not do. That in the moment of our need, God could speak things and produce things that we could not produce. And the same way I'm often humbled, and the same way I'm often tested, and the same way I believe I am nourished by my own hands, I am nourished by my own power and by my own strength. God again is saying, come, live, humbled, so that your heart is right in my presence that you know the life you live is from the very life of God. We need a nourishment that goes beyond bread itself. In a day and time where there is affluence, there is sort of a culture where you can go get it, you can have all the things you want, it will not satisfy the depths of our soul that can only be satisfied by the very word of God, saying, you are mine. Remember my story. Remember my faithfulness. There's a story that's been running long before us and will go for eternity. And Jesus is anchoring himself in that story. He's anchoring himself in that kingdom, and he's saying, Jesus says God's word is life. God spoke and God speaks. Jesus lived his life anchored in the scriptures and led by the Spirit. I think this is the the discipleship journey I hope we would all see. He's rooted in the scriptures, Deuteronomy 8. I mean, I'm just going to be really honest. If I was being tempted this week and I'm getting this, I don't know that I'm quoting Deuteronomy 8. I don't know that I'm pulling that one from my heart and my mind. I might be pulling like John 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy but you have come that I might have life. Jesus was anchored in the scriptures, in the character and the heart of God. This is good news. And he's also allowing the discerning work of the Spirit in his life to call the things he's been rehearsing for decades, scriptures he's read over and over again in community. And he's saying there is life because God is with us and God meets us and he met the people in the wilderness and he provided manna. And he met their needs when they couldn't do it on their own. And it's humility. And it's a work of the Spirit. I love the humility of Jesus. He knows that his identity is that he's a child of God. And this humility that he has to walk in surrender with the Holy Spirit. So we like if we, if we just kind of chronicled your life tomorrow. And they woke up, led by the Holy Spirit, to work. <laughs> You're like, couldn't you have read that? And they, and they hit snooze, and they rested in God's presence. Like, which one would you prefer right now? Like, what I'm saying is Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. This needs to be the truth of our lives, that we just continue to go, God, it's your power, it's your strength. It's your life. There's two really unique things. I want to own this. You're going like, Kurt, I know you're trying to like help me see the humanity of Jesus, and I love that you're really trying to paint Jesus in the humility, but Jesus is different than me. And I go, that's good news. If you can see that, if you can see that Jesus somehow offers you life in a way that you can't offer it to yourself, that is the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus is the word made flesh. 
Jesus embodies the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Everything that has been made has been made through him. The very word of God made flesh is pointing us back to, is showing us its humility. So we look to Jesus in all things. Are there things in your life that you're not looking to Jesus in? Jesus is the word made flesh. And the other thing I want us to see is that there is reality and revelation in Jesus. This passage in Luke 4 should help us step into reality. The reality of the kingdoms, the reality of the collision, the reality of temptation, the reality that wilderness is real. The reality that not everything is new and there is pain and there is heartache and there is destruction and there is loneliness. There are things trying to steal the very life from us. There is reality in Jesus. He was hungry. And there is revelation. There is revelation that says when we are on that moment, God's word is life. God's word is life. And the Spirit wants to give life to you. It wants to give you what you need. The thing that I think is so interesting here is we're going to see it as the progression goes, but the temptation starts with like, I mean, if. It's doubt. If. It's deception. So we have to discern. We have to regularly be discerning the work of God. In John 6, I'm going to jump to another part of the scriptures. In John 6, Jesus is teaching, and he's anchoring again in who he is and the way of the kingdom. And he's teaching. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, When did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Earlier in John 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000, a miraculous feeding from a few loaves and a few fish. People are there. They encounter the miracle. Then Jesus goes and walks on water. That's cool. And then we get to this moment. Very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Seems like a simple enough question. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe. Like all of life bursts forth from that reality. Like this should just take the pressure off. To believe in the one whom God sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? I mean, was the feeding of the 5,000 not enough? 
Was the walking on water not enough? What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Oh, interesting. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And you see, that, I mean, it's... Then Jesus declared, I, in the bread of life. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. If we read Jesus in the desert, fasting and hungry, tempted in his power to feed himself, and satisfy a moment that he needs. And we miss what the invitation is to all of us, is to eternal life, to the bread of life, saying, I will satisfy things you don't even know that you need satisfied. We are missing the invitation of the gospel. Jesus in the desert is showing himself faithful, is showing the character and humility of his heart, and he's setting the stage to say, I am the bread of life. No longer hunger in your heart, no longer thirst in your soul. Come and draw from me the bread of heaven. This is who God was. This is who God is, and this is who he will be for all eternity. Do you want to worship him? Do you want to worship him? If you want to worship him for eternity, come on in now. Engage that worship service now. Engage that surrender now and say, God, I am hungry. I am dry and thirsty. The world does not satisfy. My own power does not satisfy. Jesus reveals that we need more than we can provide in our own strength. In this temptation, Jesus is saying, I get it. We have to discern. But there is something we all need that goes beyond our own capacity to provide, our own power to produce. And I think what I love about Jesus is when I show up like this and I show up absolutely worked by life. Jesus gets it. Like we're going to see three temptations, but it says for 40 days. For 40 days. Like I don't know what that was like. But there's something I think in Jesus that Jesus gets the struggle. Jesus understands the story of 40 years in the wilderness, of 400 years. Where are you being tempted in your life? Where are you missing out on God's presence real and available for you? 
Where is it that you have need? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Here's what I think the invitation is for us today. As I think about Jesus in that moment, what did Jesus do? How did Jesus apply the scriptures and how did Jesus yield to the Spirit? I think what Jesus did is he remembered who God is. He remembered. He's recalling Deuteronomy 8. He's recalling the faithfulness of God. Same God. I think we sang about that this morning. Same God. You were provider then. Please be provider now. So he remembers and he recalls the faithfulness of God. I too easily forget. I just too easily forget. Where do you need to remember God's action and God's activity in your life today? And here's why we have to remember. I have to remember what God did because God's not doing it right now the way I think he should. God's not moving the way I want God to right now. Right now is a desert. I loved that, you know, all-inclusive resort thing back then that God did, but I'm not so for this thing right now. I loved that story of God putting a check in the mail back then, but where's the check now? Don't you love I use vacation and financial affluence as examples? How economically American am I? I'm not, I'm not, that's not judging you, I'm just... We have to remember the heart of God. We have to remember the character of God. We have to remember we're not God. And turns out, God is good. And God wants to put manna or bread from heaven for your eternal goodness and life. Where do we need to remember? Where do we need to remember? I want to I finish with one small detail. In Luke 3, verse 21, 22, I don't have a slide for this. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, and as he was praying, As he was making space to hear the word of God spoken to him in conversation, in humility, saying, Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh rock, oh rock of ages. If God's word is life, I think the invitation to us is to carve out space where we eat the bread of life regularly and ongoingly. We need the bread of life to fill us, and it's belief. It's belief. Prayer is how we practice our belief. Prayer is how we say, oh my God, I need you. Prayer is how we come again in humility and say, I don't like what's happening right now, but God, be with me in the desert. Prayer is how we humble ourselves in generosity. Go, God, this is so good. Help me yield this to you so that I would not believe that this is what's giving me life, but the giver of life is giving me life. That it's not circumstances, it's the faithfulness of God. 
It's our identity as his kids, and he is a he is a good and loving father. He's a good and loving spirit. He's a good and loving son. He is a good God who wants to give us eternal life. And we draw that life when we believe in him and we say, you and your word is the thing I need today to give me life. Would you come? Temptation is real. Collision in the desert is real, and I believe God is saying in Jesus, there is a way for us, anchored in the scriptures, full of the Holy Spirit, and a people of prayer, because we're deeply connecting to the word of God, needing us as we listen, as we invite, as we follow, and as we engage. So how do you need to pray today? How do you need to pray today? Is it just about belief? Like, God, I just actually need to believe you. It's just sort of simple. I thought I had to go do all these other things. Turns out I just have to believe. Do you need God's love? Do you need a miracle? Do you need comfort? Do you need compassion? Do you need peace? Do you need hope? Do you need healing? Do not believe the lie that the enemy is telling you you just need to try harder. Turn stones into bread. It'll satisfy you. What do you need? What do you need? Might be the most spiritually honest question we can engage. What do you need? So God, we just hold space. Search our hearts. Search our hearts, just like you've done with people throughout time. Lower our defenses to the kindness of your spirit.
here's what we're going to do. If you are experiencing God meeting you right now, you don't have to do anything. You can just keep sitting. You can keep experiencing the Spirit of God. There might be a couple ways we respond. If I'm, if I'm completely honest, I don't really know what to do next. That's sort of what I'm experiencing inside. Awesome. Now, where do we go from here? I just believe God's presence is here. If you want, if you want God to meet you today, that is a real option. And I'm not even trying to say how that's supposed to happen. I just think when we posture ourselves in God's presence, God is kind enough to say, what do you want? What do you need? And we can get honest. I do have a couple, a couple very specific invitations. If you know God's meeting and you just want prayer, you just want a friend or two to get on your side and say, God, we just bless what you're doing. Like, you know you need God in a way that's very real and tangible, and you just be willing to stand. We're going to pray for you. Here in just a minute, the whole room's going to be standing. So I'm not trying to isolate. I'm not trying to, you know, make you stand out in an uncomfortable way. I'm just telling you what's coming. The other thing is, I do think there's something important. For some of us, we have lost sort of the simplicity of, like, what God is inviting me to is to believe in him. And from that relationship of belief, then all the other stuff flows. You've sort of been struggling with all the other stuff. I don't pray enough, I don't read the Bible enough, or I'm trying to do this, or I'm trying to handle that. You're actually trying to handle it disconnected from God. And today, God is just saying, reconnect to me. Like the temptation in the desert is the devil asked Jesus to provide for something disconnected from God. I think God is saying, reconnect to me this morning. If that just makes sense to you, that could be a, an expression of faith. I, I, God, I believe in you. Or, God, I'm just, I'm just reconnecting to that being the source of my life, that you are the giver of life. Your word is life, and I believe in you. I believe in you. And you just need to stand today and go, that matters to me, to stand in belief and let the other stuff wash off. You know you have a need. You know that thing of believing is calling you forward. And I would say just anybody else who wants prayer, we're going to just ask you as a loving community, just if you're willing to stand first, you're going to stand, and then we're going to come stand next to you. We're going to just ask, if you know you're here today and you would love prayer, we're not going to do the come down front thing. We're going to go just stand where you are and then just move towards the people who are standing and say, is it okay if I put an encouraging hand on your shoulder? If you know you're here today and you have a need, you have come to the right place. This is the whole thing. We are not God. God, we need you. We need you. There's a real need. What, I just think it's such a courageous expression of humility to go, God, what you have is what I need. And I just want to be really clear. If you just want more of God, that's a real need too. Like if there's been a stirring in your heart and you go, I want more, I want more, you can stand too. You can also just sit and experience God's presence. But what we want is no one to stand alone. So let's just, if you're a small group leader, if you see a friend, just we stand together as a community. All right, I'm going to invite everyone to stand now. Now if you're standing and you would like prayer, just squeeze the hand of the person you came with or just tap the person that's close to you and go, I'm standing now too, like I'll take it. So Holy Spirit, we are grateful that the same truth we see in the scriptures with Jesus is true for us today. You are the promise 
gift poured out for the church. So we say, come and have your way. I pray that it wouldn't be simply about like this moment, did I stand or not, but that you would actually stir that deeper story of God in our lives, that we would remember. And as we move through our week, we would experience your kingdom come. We would experience your life come. And so we say, God, pour out your spirit. And may we be a community that are just committed to our need to eat from the bread of life. You are the only one who can satisfy. You are the only one who can sustain ultimately what it is we long for in our souls. I pray that we as a community would reconnect to you. We would encounter you. And we wouldn't just look for a sign or a miracle, but we would see your faithfulness. Your faithfulness across the generations. God, your word is life. Fill our lives with your word, with your presence, with your character. We bless your church to receive everything we need from you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.